Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest goes by I Speak Nerd pretty much everywhere. He joined Bankless Dow at the end of November 2021, where he immediately jumped into the Writers and Education Guilds and soon found himself developing content with the Bankless Academy team. I Speak Nerd's background is in physical science and education. Today, he helps with the operations and tooling for multiple DAOs, including Bankless DAO, and is the content director for Bankless Academy, as well as the creator of the Fight Club onboarding process. Welcome, I Speak Nerd, to Making Bank on this nearly one-year anniversary of your joining Bankless DAO. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Drost. That's an amazing intro. Thank you. Well, thanks. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. You've got your fingers on a lot of things, and we can jump off on a variety of directions. Maybe we should begin with a little bit of your background. You're an educator. You've got a background in physical sciences, so maybe lead us down that path a little bit and how that brought you here. My professional education, I guess, background physical science, specifically like physics and mathematics, is just basically, you know, heady intellectual puzzling about the world stuff and worked in a lab and was just super frustrated with how slow everything was. It was like, oh, you know, you finish a week and you maybe did two tests that week and nothing worked. So it was just such slow progress. I was really frustrated with it. And then I, did, I didn't really want to go to grad school for uh, physics or I didn't really want to go to grad school in any case. It's just like working for, for t- terrible wages. So now I work in DAOs. I think a lot of people in crypto have never found a career that they really fit into, or at least it feels like the people in the DAO space are that way. I've had like a lot of different jobs, so to speak. I'm on like, I guess this is my fifth career now, like working in DAOs. It's like I was going to be a physicist at one point. Then I decided I was going to be a brewer and open up my own brewery. That didn't work out. And then I was like tutoring off and on. I had my own tutoring business for a while, but I'm terrible at giving myself structure. So leading and trying to develop an organization and do everything yourself is very difficult. Then became a teacher, went went back to grad school, got a teaching uh, credential, and was a high school math teacher for six years. And now I'm here. So from the extremely straight-laced, highly structured environment of being a union member at a public school in the U.S., which means you have no control over anything that happens outside of your classroom, and you have no say in the bargaining for your wages or your benefits. And I've gone, like, if that's one side of the scale, that's the empty side in terms of freedom on the, on the freedom fuel gauge, so to speak. And I've gone fully, completely over to that other side of that into like just diving deep into DAOs and chaos and just like highly unstructured spaces with like Bankless DAO and WGMI and a couple other places. And now I'm trying to pull that back to somewhere a little bit, a little bit off center, but somewhere more in the middle. To me, that's a fascinating place to explore. You've had that dichotomy, if you will, those two very extreme ends of a barbell, as you described, from going from a very, very structured, several very structured environments to something that's total chaos. And and I would argue that being a high school teacher is a bit of structured chaos because <laughs> you've, you've got the, yeah. the stuff that comes down that's required and then you've got that the chaos that you need in a classroom to get those creative juices flowing. So you're, you're hamstrung a bit in the parameters and then you kind of break out at the edges of that to try and inject some creativity into this otherwise sterile <laughs> teach to the test kind of model. At least that's my, my headspace. No, totally, dude. I love that you totally understand that process. And like most people don't think about that, but it's, yeah, for education and learning to happen, you need both. Like you need 
that highly chaotic, unstructured ideation time for people to, you know, share ideas and be completely wrong about stuff and develop something better through experimentation. And you need that highly structured side where you record those ideas on pieces of paper that we call notes, and then you build on that the next day. And you build up to whatever, not just like the state requirements, but just the higher order ideas of things. And you need both of those in order for learning to happen. And, and I'm so like, so I'm so happy that you called that out as I, I think kind of like as a, you know, a creative person, a podcaster, you definitely have seen that experience firsthand as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to learn by doing, there's always structure you have to deal with and a little bit of structure is helpful. You need scaffolding to hang stuff on and being interested in, in everything is really difficult because then what do you narrow it down to? How do you focus? Can you maybe combine some of those interests that really get your juices going and somehow mold that together to get in that flow state? I think a lot of us try and find that whether we know that that's what it is or not or have the words to language it. Yeah, totally. And like, that's the thing about learning. And this is something I saw when I was looking at, like, thinking about grad school, like 15 years ago, is like, the new ideas are typically not found deep within a specialization. New ideas come from taking an idea from area A and applying it, or seeing how it could apply in section B. And then you cross these fields together, and you end up with something new. That's where the new ideas come from. You cross-pollinate these ideas, applications. This is the whole thing with mathematics. The theoretical math is like, you know, 30, 50, 60 years ahead of where the applications for that math is. And cryptography's been around for, what, uh, as forever? But like digital, digital cryptography with like the Enigma machine in World War II and Alan Turing and all those things and then like elliptic curve cryptography i think was in the 70s which is the whole basis for public private key pairs that we use for like securing ethereum and blockchains today and so that's like you know 70s to now <laughs> yeah yeah i actually looked up elliptic pair or elliptic curve cryptography at one point to just try and understand the math it's actually really interesting, and I'm not going to be able to explain it on this podcast, but I don't want to try. It's definitely like one of those things that's over my head, but is really interesting. And I feel like I understand it. I want to understand it at this just kind of conceptual level, which is, again, seeing how these ideas and stuff apply cross-pollinating domains, information domains. And that's how we get these new ideas from stuff again. Yeah, yeah. There's a... A lot of things we could branch off there. What was crossing my mind when we were talking about this, this combination of structure and chaos in a learning environment, it brings me to Bankless Academy and how its method of teaching and building content has evolved. As you know, I was on the early Bankless Academy team before it was Bankless Academy and then through our initial MVP release at the beginning of this year. And we started out where we were trying to produce packaged tutorials that were static and part of a, you know, maybe we'd incorporate a little, little video explainer into a Q&A, multiple choice kind of course. And I, we're still doing a little bit of that, but it has evolved and you've moved really more toward a more agile model where you iterate on a, based on a group of folks that are going through learning something new and then based on their questions from that, you iterate on the course. Is that my correct understanding of how that's being done now? With new content that we want to create is we want to avoid creating the stuff that we think people want to know or think people need to know. And we want to create the content that is actually what people want and need to know about a topic. In other words, like you said, where are the questions that people are asking? If you want to talk about wallet security, and you start going on and, oh, you need to secure your private keys with a hardware wallet and doing all this other stuff is like, okay, cool. What if I don't know what a wallet is? And now you're suddenly talking about hardware yeah. wallets and like, oh, you need to secure your keys. If you don't know what a wallet is, you probably don't know what secure your keys means. There's a lot of places where this kind of foundational knowledge can get skipped over by people who are deeper into the space and we can leave out newbies and there could be like gaps in our processes, here's a great example. Just connect your wallet to the DAP. Like, what? <laughs> if you're brand new, like, right? What you just said makes no sense to. 
yeah, like connect my wallet. You mean like log in? Like what? What? What's my password for that? And it's like, no, no, no. You just you know go find find the connect wallet. You just got to do this. But in order to do that, you have to have a wallet first. And so if you don't have that, then it's like, oh well, then now it's a whole process for this whole thing. Right. And then once so, you've sent them down that path to install a wallet, the very next thing is okay, we've sent them to a place where there can now be risk. And so the very next thing, or maybe even before that, you need to start talking about security. It's always that challenge of front-loading some very critical information that people need to know, but not overwhelm them with it so that they don't even want to start. I mean, you start going through a list of 20 steps you need to do, and oh, by the way, you need to think about this, go read this document first and come back here, you're going to lose 90% of people. With Bankless Academy, we have a set of live learning sessions. We've been calling them Level Up Live with basically live sessions with, it's been pretty much myself and a subject matter expert on the topic of whatever that topic is. Like we had Downlore from the InfoSec team when we did this for Web3 Security. And we had Caleb from One Inch on the recent One Inch lesson come in and we create our slides or whatever. But then as we're walking people through this content with a live session, we're really paying attention to, again, what are those questions that people are asking? Because again, that's directing us to what do they want to know and what are the things that we assumed they already knew? And we want to make sure we're filling in those gaps and not leaving people behind because that's yeah. that's one of the biggest issues with creating content and creating educational materials. You're blind to your own assumptions a lot of the time. And so we need that feedback from the people that we're trying to you know, create this content for, and we're, we're literally searching, trying to get, sending out, trying to get people who like, I've, I've gotten my dad, I got my dad to come to the, the web three security one. And he like barely had a wallet at that point, even though he's been listening to me talk about this stuff for over a year now. We all run into this, uh, which, uh, between, well, between trying to teach our own family and friends, if they're interested and you know how it is when you're teaching a family member or somebody close to you, at least for me, it's a little, you're not as patient with them as you are with a third party. Even if you might be a great teacher, you may not be that patient with somebody you live with. I was just curious how it is going through this, like this AMA or however you structured that, uh, how your dad felt about that versus, if you don't mind, uh, how you felt, how your dad felt about that versus when you were trying to explain things to him. I think that might be instructive if you're comfortable with sharing that. Yeah, totally. I'll just dox him right now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say dox. Yeah, he's, and, and my experience with this might be a bit atypical because my dad is like an old, old school programmer, like from like the 80s, with like COBOL and Perl and all those old languages. And like, he's a, a SQL coder for 30 years. So that was my connection for him with understanding this blockchain stuff is like, you know, it's just, it's a database that everyone has read access to at all times. And then there's certain rules about how new information gets added to that database that we call the rules of the consensus algorithm of the protocol. And then there's some economic incentives built in and that's what makes it a cryptocurrency with this whole thing. And so that was like, oh, okay. But again, it's like, I think that's a pretty atypical experience for trying to explain stuff. But he's still like, he asks a million questions about this. And I think that's a really good thing. The fact that he keeps asking questions is like, you know, oh, cool. He's still interested in this. The foundation, when you're learning any new topic, especially if it's a topic that's highly separated from anything that you've learned about before, it's like you need to have a foundation of knowledge in order to build on and or you need to, like you said before, have places to hang information. You need to be able to connect it to stuff you already know. That's why NFTs became so big for onboarding so many people. An NFT is a, a digital picture or other file, but digital picture that you own, people can understand that, right? The typical user can understand that experience. Like, oh, it's a picture that I own on something called a blockchain. Cool. I don't really understand that part, but cool. I own this thing now. How's that different than a right click save? I can have the image. Who cares? And then you get into the whole discussion about who actually owns it. Everybody can have a copy of it. You know, we have prints of Picasso's, but only the original Picasso is worth anything. Creating an NFT is like putting art in a museum. And then right. anyone can come look at it can take pictures of it, can create copies of it, uh, of the you know underlying file, but there's only one person who gets to have their name on the plaque next to that art piece in the museum. You know, I speak nerd owns this. 
The other piece of that is the fact that that NFT is a a token, it's a contract, and you can program that. And so suddenly, if somebody's bought your art that's represented as an NFT, whatever that art is, or there's music, visual, whatever it is, writing, you now have a connection. And so the creative person who generated it may build in some mechanics in there that if you display your NFT somewhere and you share it in various places, it shows that you've done that. Like with Lens, uh, if you collect a post and share it, you can have, uh, not royalties, that's the wrong word, but you can have a little bit of any income that comes, go back to the people that saw it first and promoted it or shared it with others. And so you end up creating this engine where it flows back to the creatives and the people that support them and the people they've communicated with and really eliminating some of those intermediaries. That's why A is can be so threatening, but also B, so powerful. Yeah, and like with that direct connection, we're enabling artists and creators to have that direct connection and we're rewriting what ownership means and what is ownership in a digital space. No one cares if you own an NFT if nobody knows that you own it. And this, <laughs> this kind of thing around like conspicuous, not conspicuous consumption, but also the ability to like flex and show stuff off. And that gets into the whole thing of part of the theory of why music NFTs haven't taken off the same way PFPs have, because there's no good social listening experience out there right now. Like there is for a visual experience where everyone can put it up on Twitter and directly associate themselves with that community that way. And you can use them to grant access or subscriptions. And there's, there's so much stuff that can go into NFTs, but it's really cool. Yeah. And then trying to communicate that. And I was reading a couple of your posts on Mirror recently. Yeah, I've been blogging on there for a bit now, and I actually joined the the writer's cohort recently. I think this is season two of the writer's cohort that Grant is running through the Bankless Dow Writers Guild. It's yes. been really good and really great to, again, I, I'm terrible about giving myself, like building structure for myself. So joining that cohort is really given kind of a, a framework outline of some structure that I can use to hold myself accountable for producing content and getting my freaking ideas out of my brain and out into the world. Because if you have ideas, but you don't tell anybody about them, does it matter? I have the same problem. And that's why I joined the writer's cohort. I wrote my first piece on anonymous authenticity. And then the second piece is actually, quite frankly, hard for me. I have a couple of different topics I was going to explore. And I'll just go off on this for a moment because it speaks to the creator economy. And I was starting to write a piece about my dad who passed away. And he was a creator. He built, uh, he was a tinkerer, he was a photographer, you know, early adopter, a uh, term that wasn't really used in, in that time. But, you know, I, I got to think that he would have loved this if he understood it. I can only imagine if he was a young man today, starting to really come into knowing what his own interests are, loving photography, and then looking at AI and stable diffusion and being able to bring your ideas into a visual medium, even if you're not an artist. If he had seen any of this stuff, I, I got to think if he was alive today and if he was young enough, I think he would have dug it. And it's hard to write about. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I'm sure it's deeply, a deeply emotional subject. Like, thank you for, for sharing about that. I really appreciate it. But it's also exciting, you know, and I just think about these tools we have and it just reminds me of how important it is to capture that stuff. And, you know, we don't really think about it now, especially people that have grown up having a smartphone in their pocket and can record anything anytime and store it in the cloud. You know, that stuff is ephemeral too. It lives in a server somewhere. And if your account gets locked out or whatever, something horrible happens and they haven't given legacy access to the account and you have to fight with them to get it, all of that is gone. It's all lost. All your images, all your conversations with your mom, all that stuff is gone. And and I'm just thinking about this in terms of legacy, historical preservation. And so wow. I think about this in terms of the creator economy, on-chain, storing everything on IPFS. There's so much of our personal histories that are ephemera right now, and they're just going to be lost to history. I think that's kind of how the human brain works, though, in general, isn't it? It's like we don't remember all of our experiences. Um, and we ZK snark it. 
<laughs> I mean, like, how, how does memory work? Memory works by imagining what a past experience was or what you think a past experience was. And the more that you remember that experience, the stronger that memory becomes. I wanted to talk about, you know, we talked about your writing. We talked about what DAOs can do and how we're finding, and it, the more we talk to people, and you know, it's been such a paradigm shift, and I hate to use the word paradigm shift, we use that a lot. Paradigm, paradigm shift. Paradigm. <laughs> but there's been this collective awareness and this collective thing we've all gone through on the planet, and we've all processed it in a different way. We've seen how people can either rise to the occasion or become their worst selves. And this has played out in real time before all of us. And so this brings me to a piece you wrote back on September 27th, and this is on Mirror, and it is entitled DAOs and the Power of Incentives. And I think this is a really important topic. We had Zero Justice on. He was talking about incentive engineering being... Nice. Love Justice. Yeah, Justice is great. He's got some, he's really got some strong ideas there and some things to unpack. But this idea of incentive engineering, and I think we have to come to the realization that human behavior is what it is. A lot of it is innate. It's that reptilian brain. And as much as we'd like to think that we're wired differently, we're not. And so we need to change the way we incent things, the things we reward. And so I thought this was a really good piece that talks about that. Did you want to maybe speak to any of that? And you've obviously thought quite a bit about this. Sure. That particular piece was for the writer's cohort, or at least that was what got me to actually write it down and publish it. But that kind of came out of going to MCON at the start of September. That's a Meta Cartel conference, the second one. To me, it was the ultimate DAO conference. It was just a bunch of DAO folks who mostly want to collaborate and talk about DAO stuff and just collaborate and build stuff together and have a positive sum and see what we can create. And for me, it was it was very much like being at, being at university again, where I could literally just wander around the conference looking for familiar faces and or listening into conversations as I'm going. And I could just jump into any conversation that I thought was interesting and just, you know, start talking to people about it. And people were like, totally like, oh yeah, blah, blah, that's a good idea. Blah, blah, and stuff. <laughs> I, um, I would echo that. I did not go to MCON, but uh, just a little plug here for Crypto Sapiens. A uh, recent episode of Crypto Sapiens Humpty put out, and that is a compilation of some quick conversations at MCON. And I would encourage everyone to go check that out. I got so jazzed after listening to that. Yeah, I saw him wandering around with a microphone recording, but I was hearing a lot about what, because uh, he's also at Orange, and so I was talking to a lot of people about how this sort of stuff can play together. But to get back to your original question about DAOs and incentives, is that whole blog post is really just getting to the ending line, incentivize the change you wish to see in the world. And for anyone who's familiar with history, that's an evolution of a quote that's attributed to Mahatma Gandhi a lot, is like, be the change you wish to see in the world. And the thought I've had with this is like, yes, we want to encourage individual action that way, but as people live in spaces where they are interacting on a close level with people less and less often, in other words, as the density of people increases in the spaces that we interact with, be that the internet or in cities or just in social media, whatever, where your density of people is increasing, the human brain can still only comprehend about 150 meaningful relationships, right? This is Dunbar's number. There's a lot written about this. So if you can still only really have that many meaningful relationships, but you're interacting with more people more often, those interactions that you're having are less tied to that social relationship, right? To those social relationships that we build and we as humans tend to rely upon. So the incentives of the systems that we exist within become more and more important in how we as humans interact. Because these systems incentives don't rely on those social connections in order to function. The way I was thinking about this is like coherence and like lasers or electrons moving in a, a wire. If you have a group or, or people in a DAO or trying to herd cats, any of these analogies totally work. If you have a group 
that you have together and you say, go, then everybody shoots off in a million directions. Anyone who's tried to start a DAO can tell you about this. But with something like an incentive, in that case, there's a goal, there's a map, there's a place they're trying to get to, right? And so they're right. given the freedom to choose how they want to go about achieving that goal. But we take this explosion bomb of creativity from going in all directions to, you know, everybody go north. And so people are still going at like northeast and west-northwest or something. But North-ish. Yeah, north-ish, <laughs> exactly. Instead of having hard, full, uh, rigid walls that we cram people into and say, you can only go this direction and you can't move left or right. You can't go up, down, and you can only go that way. We have instead these kinds of elastic, almost elastic walls. We let people go north or north-ish, and then they can run into these elastic walls, which aren't going to wham, like hurt when they run into them. It just kind of gently like bounces and redirects them is how I'm thinking about this to, again, just keep people moving right. in this, a similar direction. And we still allow for individual creative choice on how to go about achieving those things. But the end results that we want to be rewarding is the same for everybody. I think the example I gave in the article was recycling. If you want to incentivize recycling, that's something that people might do on a daily basis or have a choice to do on a daily basis. Because with recycling, the whole system, at least in the U.S., is busted. The reward for recycling is so far separated from the action required to take, sets of actions required to take to do recycling. There's very few people actually do it because what you have to collect your aluminum cans for a set amount of time, crush them down, which means you need to be able to store them for a while and you need that space. And then you have to take your labor and gas and time in order to transport those cans to the recycling center where you have to take time to weigh them out to receive your payout from the recycling center for whatever. And it's a ton of effort and you only get to do this what, once every month, once every two months or something. What if we had a system that was more like when you deposit your aluminum can on like a street bin, um, there's the trash bin and there's the recycling bin, and then you get to scan a QR code on your phone, and then there's a, I don't know, there's a QR code on the, on the can or something as it goes into the machine, right. and then it transfers, you know, <laughs> 10 cents or 5 cents or 2 cents or whatever, some financial incentive to that person at the time of that action being taken. And then all that infrastructure headache doesn't fall on the individuals. It falls on the system in order to do that. And the individual just has to make that choice on whether they're going to put their can in the recycling or in the trash. Well, you linked to another article in that piece, and it's about the power of incentives, and it's on fs.blog. And basically the subhead here is incentives are what drive human behavior. Understanding incentives is the key to understanding people. Conversely, failing to recognize the importance of incentives often leads us to make major errors. And that's just the reality. And if we can understand that and acknowledge that human behavior is what it is and try and incentivize things correctly, and we're making mistakes right now. We're, we're iterating. You see NFT projects, utility NFT projects that maybe their mechanics don't work right. Maybe it incents the wrong thing. Maybe you're not attracting the users of the tool that you want because you've incentivized it incorrectly. And you don't know that until you put it out there and see what happens. If you're going to use economic and financial incentives for these things, this information needs to be discoverable and understood by people. Because if you're expecting people to make a rational decision about something, then they need to have the information in order to make that rational decision. But of course, as anyone in finance will tell you, and any human, anyone with enough experience with humans will tell you, it's like people aren't always rational. And so you, you get people who buy some NFTs just because they like the art. And that's not necessarily a rational decision. The rational decision would be to try and find the next blue chip NFT that you think is going to take off if your entire incentive is driven by economics and investment desire versus I like this thing and it makes me happy. And happiness is not a rational 
incentive that we know how to engineer for currently using economics. The whole economic theory of capitalism with growth at all times and growth is the ultimate thing and that is the only thing that we measure in order to determine if an economy is healthy or the health of an economy and those kinds of things is very flawed and leads to very perverse incentives for capitalism and you get capitalism repeating the monopolies of the past with the gilded age which is a subject of a blog article that i'm working on i thought you already put that out i thought you already did that article about the gilded age yeah but that was kind of like that was kind of like a rough draft of that one i can do much better i can do better and the one that i put out didn't have a this is why you should care about this. Right. Uh, it was pretty short. Point. It was giving a little bit of background on what gilded meant and the age of gold and all that stuff. Yeah. Because I actually had wanted to break that up into multiple blog posts because I realized was like this is more information than I have for one blog. Because again, with this thing I'm finding with teaching and blogging and educating is how much context do you give for these things? Because like I could talk you through my ideas on the digital gilded age like right now if you know we don't have to go too deep into giving tons of context on history and everything. And I can run through the argument in like 15 minutes. But if I, if we need to give the context of all the, the history of the Gilded Age and what was happening at that time and how are we seeing the parallels in uh, unionization right. and union busting and the monopolization of, of capital and the capture <laughs> of markets and all this sort of stuff, that kind of context takes a lot of time it and does. effort to describe. And it so does. That's, that's the kind of stuff that, needs to go into that kind of final article no, in order right. to have the full argument there for why we you're need right. data privacy in this yeah. uh, in this information age. Well, let's maybe get back to incentive engineering because I wanted to um, to kind of um, dig into that just a little bit more. I want to refer to, I think this is also a link out that you had. This is an interview, I think, with Kevin Awaki of Gitcoin. And this is actually in Forbes. And... Um, it talks about impact DAOs, and I, I think this is probably a relevant thing to speak about. And I will read a couple of sentences here that explain it very well. And the interviewer asks, how are Web3 structures like impact DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations that are designed to make an impact, how are they well-suited to take on social and environmental challenges? And so Kevin Iwaki, um uh, Gitcoin green pilled, very uh, regenerative uh, oriented. And his response is that blockchains are a foundation that we can build solutions to these problems on. So, one, they're transparent. Two, they're immutable, meaning they can't be tampered with. Three, they're global. And four, they're programmable. And so he defines an impact DAO as any Web3 project that has a positive externality on the world. And then impact DAOs use these tools to bring more transparency to the work that, for example, non-government organizations and nation states are already doing. Love it. And so these global failures that we've had are systemic risks, and we should do everything we can to correct that. And so some examples of impact DAOs would be like ClimaDAO that's tokenizing carbon credits. There's proof of humanity that maintains a registry of unique humans. And then, of course, Gitcoin that so far has delivered over, I think it's like $60 million worth of funding to open source software. And it's specifically meant to go toward positive externalities, regenerative economics, things like that, that not only sustain, but regenerate. I think that's part of what we need to think about with incentive engineering. And, you know, maybe your incentive, maybe what you want to see is different. Well, let's go spin up a DAO and do it. Um, yeah, uh, I'll just do a quick plug here. Kevin actually has his own podcast in partnership with Bankless, uh, Bankless HQ. That's the Green Pill podcast, where he does interviews with founders from a lot of these impact DAO projects. And he's he's going to meme the uh, the Green Pill into existence. Yes, he launched that at the beginning of this year. But I'm a, I'm a, ri- I'm a big fan. Yeah, Kevin has made a huge impact. We were talking about Gitcoin GR15 on a couple of recent episodes, and it's just really incredible. And we're talking about the financialization of things. And for people that are interested in making an impact and don't like the narrative of the negativity around crypto and blockchain, an opportunity to change that narrative for them personally and to communicate with other people about it is to take a look at what's being done with Gitcoin and the organizations that it's funding. Preach. To me, this is how we move forward in a, an increasingly contentious world where we can't agree on much of anything. Absolutely. And getting back with uh, this kind of 
DAO incentives um, that I wrote about as the density of these spaces increases. In other words, as we become more and more of a global society that lives and breathes on the internet, which, I mean, it's not going to be for everyone, but there, people are growing up now having never not known the internet, which is crazy to think about. And they're just going to, like the internet has become, has become ubiquitous and will continue to be, be even more ubiquitous in the future. And so a lot of what people in the DAO space are really concerned with and what I love so much about what Kevin's done with Gitcoin and is continuing to fund a lot of other people to do is like this, what you talked about, like the regenerative finance, the refi rather than DeFi of these things. I'm particularly thinking of Proof of Humanity with like uh, that Santi series project. Um, they they forked Uniswap, uh, but they called it Ubiswap. So it's a swap protocol that has a uh, token burn on their... I think it's like 0.2% or something like that, that they buy the UBI token back from the open market and destroy it. But the UBI token, UBI, if you're not familiar, is universal basic income, is this idea that humanity or people rather are able to be more creative and live better lives and actualize themselves and have better positive impact on the world if they don't have to worry about funding. In other words, if you don't have to worry about your daily expenses all the time, you have freedom to create new th- new and awesome things. And that's the basic idea with UBI. And so the Proof of Humanity protocol, their whole thing is there's a UBI token that they give out to every single person who registers with them in the world. And all that takes is proof of humanity. You have to prove you are an actual human being through, I, I forget their exact process, but they have some process to prove that you are a human and then you just get to register for receiving this UBI token amount. I think it's every week, I think, but it's just a really, really cool concept. And like, what if we had other protocols that were tied in with something like UBSwap where they're, for everyone who's registered with this, there's effectively a tax uh, I know people hate the word tax, but these token burns, these costs for using these protocols, it's effectively a tax on that protocol. But we know that that tax is getting directly applied to wherever we want it applied to. In this case, it's applied to burning the supply of the UBI token and providing value back to all the holders of the UBI token. And so with these crypto systems, we're designing global incentive systems for people to exist on the internet in these spaces of these programmable interfaces and programmable organizations that are DAOs with smart contracts and tokens. And it's such, such a cool space. I love this so much. And like the finance aspect of crypto is like the least, it's the least interesting part. Finance is the least interesting part of crypto. Right. It is the uh, least interesting part. That's what I've been trying to communicate to people, too. There's so much more here that um, once you dig into it, and it's like uh, it was Senad, I think, when we were just chatting, and he said, uh, you know, once you dig into this and once you under- start to understand some of this stuff, there's no going back. You can't unthink it. It's like unseeing absolutely. something. Once it's in your head, it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of uh, possibilities. Can't You can't unsee you- so, yeah, you're working on a lot of things. You're very focused on academy. You're trying to figure out how to properly incent, communicate, teach. And you're dealing with a lot of newcomers, people coming into academy, new to the space, new to all of it, asking beginner questions. What would you say to a newcomer, maybe that might be feeling overwhelmed right now? and Maybe they're plugged in yet. Maybe they're concerned. They jump in, they'll go overwhelmed. Where do you start? Lots of new tools, even just the communication tools. If you haven't used Discord before, or you, like you had said, not hooked up a wallet yet. Find a community. Find a community that you vibe with and keep coming back and keep showing up because this space pays such dividends in terms of opportunities that come from the social capital that you can build within communities. My I Speak Nerd identity, I created in July of 2021. And this identity is completely divorced from all of my other online social identities. And I wanted it to be completely separate. But that means that I'm starting from scratch with social capital in this system. Quick shout out to the eight forms of capital. If you haven't read that article yet, please go read that. Drost, please put it in the description. That's a great article talking about the different forms of capital. Like we're not all just money people. 
So that social capital that comes from being known in the space and the opportunities that come from being trusted as a responsible person who can deliver on creating stuff are immeasurable in the spaces, the places that you can go with this. So keep coming back, find a community, keep reaching out, keep asking questions to people. When you find that one person who's able to, or is willing to sit down and talk you through and go through like how to set up a wallet and here's how this organization works. Here's how you navigate this space. When you find that person, it's invaluable. And like, I will be forever grateful to run the jewels who's now over at Bankless Consulting, but Run the Jewels was the, I think like fourth or fifth person that I asked in Bankless DAO or like not asked necessarily, but just like spoke up in a meeting at Bankless DAO where I'm like, I'm so lost. How do I do anything here? Well, you know, I'd like to speak to that for just a moment. You're a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I was looking back (laughs) and I got to say, you know, I've been with Bankless Dow for a while, and when you came in, I was a little bit intimidated because you're you're pretty techy, and I didn't realize how new you were to this. And then in preparing for our conversation today, we chatted a bit. I know what you're working on, but I kind of wanted to go back and see, you know, when did I speak nerd join, and what was he asking about when he joined? And it's pretty instructive, you know. It, we're all you did a deep hole <laughs> for this uh, for this prep. Well, you know, I kind of like to get a little flavor, you know? And, and so the thing is, we're all new here, right? This is all new to everybody. And so getting back to my point, you're a smart guy. Your first questions coming in were like, okay, where do I go? What do I do? I don't get this. Help me out. <laughs> and now you're, you're running some stuff. You're helping with operations, both the bank list and other places. You're helping with tooling. You're helping all this stuff. And you're working on things you didn't even have in your vocabulary a year ago. And so I guess my point there is, yes, it's going to be overwhelming at first. And so my suggestion is, like you said, I speak nerd, what are these things that you care about? What do you vibe with? Is there something, are you into regenerative finance or you're like, well, you guys, you know, whatever, that's your thing. I don't give a crap about that. Okay, fine. That's not your thing. Find something else. Maybe it's not a money thing. We talk about it not being money. If you want to make a difference, you can contribute to some of these projects and jump in they need help they need people to write they need people to to manage communities they need people to maintain documents notion databases and if you're really aligned with one of these projects you don't have to buy their token go talk to the people and say hey i really dig what you're doing how can i help and i'll tell you what you will be very busy very fast. So be very careful about what you ask for and make sure that it's what you care about because you're going to get hip deep in it. And if you love it, (laughs) you'll wallow in it and just be smiling the whole time, even if you're a little tired. But if you work on something that you don't agree with, it's going to feel like your trad job, right? And so don't do that. And if you do get into something you don't like, you know, don't, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think everybody in this space goes through that cycle, or at least everybody in DAOs goes through that cycle of like, I'm coming in. I don't know anything. All right, cool. I start showing up to things. Cool. I start saying yes to doing things. And then you end up overwhelmed within like three months of just like, I'm in too many things. And then, you know, you maybe you burn out a bit and have to take a break. And then you come back and you've learned more of where your limits are and you've learned how to say no to something or at least how about this you have the social capital and the social presence to be able to say no to some things and really start to put your efforts into more of whatever those core projects that you align with are and i would also add on to what you said there earlier there drost is like don't don't be afraid to be what you think is really annoying to these people about like asking asking for their attention and also and also like try to be try to be constructive like Hey, I don't know anything isn't as attractive as like, hey, I'm trying to do X thing and I'm trying to get onboarded to Notion so that I can take notes on this thing. Uh, I don't know how to do this. Can someone help me out? And like, that's a much easier question to respond to as someone who has a limited amount of time. It's a very focused thing of like, cool, I understand how to help this person. Sometimes you don't know what you need. It's like, I'm new. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Okay, well, go to first quest, go through the first quest thing. Talk to the talent coordinators uh, for your guilds. That's another thing too about the Bankless DAO orientation changing now is like the guilds are really going to be more focused around upskilling contributors. So making sure that people not just know how to do the specific tasks within that guild, because I think everybody who comes into a DAO has 
some skills already that are going to lend them to want to focus more on some specific areas than others, but then also learning how to, how to DAO and like how specifically bankless DAO works. Um, and then you can start start seeing how that compares to some other DAOs, like maybe how Gitcoin works versus how versus DAO punks versus. Uh, oh yeah, I mean if you're into science, talent DAO. If you're into uh, looking to venture funding, Fight Club yep. or Fight Club for the win, FTW DAO. Yep. Hey, if you're learning about DAOs, you're doing your exploration phase, and you're like, hey, this DAO isn't on the list. You know, go to list of DAOs. That's John E and. Uh, Aaron R, I think. But yeah, list of DAOs, we talked about it in another episode. But you can get paid in some bank tokens just for helping maintain list of DAOs. It's a project that Grounds Committee gives thumbs up to. And so, yeah, easy ways to get involved. So speaking of easy ways to get involved, we probably need to go to the wrap-up here. Last plug, please. Which is where I was going to head, which is with Bankless <laughs> Academy and possibly minting kudos, taking the courses. Maybe how does one go about doing that? What's the best way to check out the Academy courses and maybe start getting some reputation tokens? We launched at ETH Denver of 2022 and with POAPs for completing the lessons. And we immediately got farm to hell. Um, so POAP shut us off which is why our POAPs disappeared for five months while we were building other kinds of infrastructure on the back end. But now I can say by the time this episode airs, the new badge system should be live with Mint Kudos, where if you go to Bankless Academy, app.banklessacademy.com, and you uh, connect your wallet and do some lessons, if you register with the Gitcoin Passport, uh, I think it's two, you need two stamps with Gitcoin Passport, then you can start receiving Mint Kudos certifications that you completed those courses. Um, and those are soulbound tokens, so they're attached to your specific wallet address to certify that you, know, you understood the content that was in the Bankless Academy Web3 security lesson for that particular lesson. We're still finishing building out our essentials content right now. People can go to app.banklessacademy.com and get started there. The UX is, is really awesome. If you are in the Bankless DAO Discord already, you can come say hey down in the, I think it's Academy General. We also have our GM community. That's gm.xyz slash c slash Bankless Academy, I believe. But it's definitely linked in the Discord. And all of these are fantastic ways to get involved because we are actually currently looking for people to become part of a feedback co cohort, helping us to be those kinds of beta testers for our community lessons as kind of a preview for people who want to create their own community content down the road. So we'd love to talk with you guys if you're interested in that sort of stuff. Come on down. Reach out to me on Twitter. I think, uh, Joost, will you be able to put my socials in the, this podcast description? And then I could just say, yeah. It'll be in there. Yeah. Your Twitter is ispeak underscore nerd. And you are ispeaknerd.eth and number 6969 in Discord. Not sure how you got that <laughs> number, but <laughs> it's another story for another day. I am a child. That's true. <laughs> Aren't we all in? Well, you know, we need to bring back that childlike feel and view of discovery and exploration and giggling when you discover something, right? I think we're missing some of that these days. And this is, there's a lot of ways we can rediscover our childhood and try and improve things too at the same time. It's, it's, it's in the Dow space, baby. It's in the Dow space. There's, there, we got room for everybody. Come on in. We do. The water's fine. We don't bite. All right. Any last thoughts before we do the wrap? I think you hit everything. There's also like Fight Club. Oh, we didn't even talk about Fight Club. Yeah. You did the onboarding for Fight Club, didn't you? You've got cake and how does that all work? Talk about what you're doing with onboarding folks in Fight Club. So Fight Club is an investment DAO based around um, holding an NFT. And <clears throat> what I got frustrated with was we were talking about, you know, trying to get governance going and trying to create polls and stuff. And we we're getting low responses uh, for things. And we we're getting the same people showing up to calls again and again, the same involved people. And so the, but we noticed, Hey, like, Everybody who holds an NFT has the same amount of say in what happens in the organization. In other words, the person who's been in the trenches doing work for six months, building this product, building this community, building this organization, only has the same amount of say as the person who to have whatever it was, 500 Matic a year ago. And those are both important contributions, but I think... 
I personally believe that the social and sweat equity contribution should be valued more, or at least should be recognized in some way in the organization. That kind of led into this kind of idea of like tiers of contributors at Fight Club. And this is something that Bankless DAO has as well with the tiers, like the there's L1, L2, L3, L4 in Bankless DAO. But also those names, L1, L2, L3, L4, that doesn't tell you anything about what those roles actually mean. I wrote a whole blog post on like theme and why theme is important for DAOs and how you should structure your theme to align with what you want your what your roles are and this whole thing. And that was actually my first blog that I posted. It's interesting. Go check it out. But um, that kind actually, of actually did read it. <laughs> well, it's I forgot to the, mention it. It's, it's all good. It's a shout for the people at home. Uh, but the that kind of led into, again, this kind of like using the tiers and themes to theme these contributors. And so it was like, oh, well, Fight Club. Okay. Like, I don't know. We're fighting. We're fighters. Like we already use a boxing glove for a lot of stuff. And like the whole whole Fight Club NFT is a boxing glove. So it's like, okay, cool. So can we lean into, can we lean into the fight theme here somehow? It's like, all right, well, if we're trying to do tiers of contributors that are like hierarchical, in other words, your higher tier is worth more of something than your lower tiers. All right, it's like, all right, how do you design something that helps people remember that? It's like, okay, well, I guess we can lean into fight and like fighters and like, oh, weight, weight class, like boxing weight classes. So it's like, obviously with, you know, video game logic, obviously more weight, heavier, equal better. Obviously, that's so simple <laughs> for everyone. So right. how do you how do define that? Exactly. How do you gain weight? So how do you design a system using these tools that we already have? And this also kind of leads into why my name is the way I am and how I see myself as kind of a builder. I'm not a, I I am not a coder. Like I am not a programmer. I have fucked with code a little bit, but I, that is not my primary role with stuff. I see myself as like a person doing people ops. Like I am creating a experience for contributors to participate in a system for these contributors to participate in using existing tools and piecing these disparate tools together. So at Fight Club, this whole idea of how do we build, how do you gain weight? How do you get cake to gain weight? We're leveraging DWORK right now as our project management tool. And so you complete tasks in DWORK and you get a share of the governance power that's given out to that work stream over the course of a season. And so as you do more tasks, you accumulate more cake and you level up to a higher tier. You go from a flyweight to a lightweight to a medium weight, heavyweight. And finally, of course, the top of the food chain, Sumo, as you level up, you get a sweet soulbound token that gives you a multiplier on your governance on Snapshot. And so we've created this kind of gamified, themed process for doing work within Fight Club. And it's super cool. And again, I'm not, I haven't built and coded anything with this. I've done some Excel wizardry in order to do that kind of percent of the amount of cake given out over the course of a season. But it's really just leveraging D-Work and Mint Kudos and making this whole thing discoverable by trying to talk with Sobol and Orange Protocol. And I'm just taking these disparate primitives for work and stitching them together to create a cohesive contributor experience with operations for people and that's how i see myself fitting into this space well that's pretty cool and don't underestimate excel fancy footwork that's quite a cool discipline in and of itself if you really figure this out it sounds like you have we could use that kind of a token model elsewhere there is a blog outcoming on the fight club mirror to explain this whole process we'll double check before i ship this cool looking forward to reading it this also goes into why we need teachers in Web3. Desperately, teachers are great at this because, hey, you have to teach a lesson on something you don't know about tomorrow. Here, you have a lesson plan. Here, you have a worksheet. Make this work. Go. And how do you get your students to remember anything for the quiz you're going to give at the end? And how do you do the quiz in a way that doesn't make them feel stupid and empowers them that they learn something, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's so all you're constantly <laughs> piecing these disparate pieces together. Unless you want to you work are. incredibly hard and design your own curriculum entirely from scratch. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> well, the other thing, and I, I, I hate to go off on a tangent, because t- I actually taught as adjunct faculty for a brief period at a community college. Just, I, so I got a little bit of a Bless peek you. into it. And I really enjoyed it. And actually, one of the things that was an unlock for me is you learn from your students. And I, 
Yeah. And it's very inspiring. It's, you know, despite all of the pain and suffering around being a teacher or being, quite frankly, a healthcare worker, it's that kind of thing that is why you do it. You're inspired mm-hmm. by the students that you're teaching and they teach you and you learn something for the next time and you iterate and you get better. And, and that was huge for me. And I actually kind of miss it. I, I just, I love to be in the classroom and demoing something real simple and then just giving them time to work on it and wandering around the classroom and then having them come up and demonstrate something that they learned. I always had trouble getting people to come up to the front and not drag them up there. But if somebody's willing to do it, it's a very powerful feeling that you learn something and then you can then go explain it to somebody else. And, and when somebody does that for the first time and gets that feeling you do when you have been able to teach somebody something that you've recently learned and consolidate it for them in a way that they get the aha moment. That's a dopamine hit right there. <laughs> and, um, and I encourage that kind of a dopamine hit. Yeah. You brought up this learning from your students and iterating and getting feedback. And that's a huge part of my process as well. I'm writing blogs now to solidify my ideas and put them out in a form that is more asynchronously accessible to people. But I I didn't generate those ideas by sitting down to write a blog post. Like all those ideas that I'm writing about have come from conversations with people and refining those ideas and those arguments through conversation and being challenged and iterating on those things is exactly how my process works. I refine my ideas through conversation. That That is how my process. I think that comes from being a bit of a people person and have, having been a teacher for so long. That's just how I work and that's how my brain works. That is the unstructured chaos learning time of free-flowing conversation. And now I'm starting to take the refined diamonds of ideas out of that soup and turning them into structured blog posts that are more comprehensible to a wider audience and uh, those kinds of things. And it takes time, but, but we're like within a tangent, we're a tangent within a tangent within a tangent here. No, this doesn't go off on a tangent that wraps up <laughs> in a nice bow. No, I've been thinking the same thing. And, and part of the, re- in fact, we have to go because in a half an hour, we are both in a writing cohort breakout meeting. So we have to take a little break here, but yep. uh, to, no, to your point is that's, I was thinking about this actually earlier this morning before we got on our interview, and I was thinking about this essay I've got due, got the writer's cohort coming up in a half an hour, and it's like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the fact that I am at a bit of a block, and it's because of what you just said. You've got all these ideas swirling around in your head, and you have to talk through it. We all come about things in a different way, and I feel like maybe people that are better at writing or they get their ideas out better that way they start with the writing and then they talk about it after they've written it and i think for me and you we work a little bit differently we like to talk through stuff first and then kind of distill those ideas down and write about it however you get to that point and you're able to get it out distill it and communicate it that's what we're trying to do and further our own knowledge and you know whatever your goals are keep going along that path and going north-ish. Going north-ish. Guiding mission of an organization. Uh, You're not always going to be straight on the path, but if you can at least have that guiding direction, you can feel like you're not wasting your time. You're making incremental progress all along. I think that's a great place to end on. These are some great jumping off points. Take a look at gm.xyz. Check out what Bankless Academy is doing. These courses that they're doing are meant for beginners. And so, especially if you're new and you've not dug into this at all yet this is a great time to do it you'll give great feedback we need it we're taking um, you on the full bankless journey going from sexaholics <laughs> to self-custody to self-sovereign individuals that's cex centralized exchange for the folks yes, at home that is cex centralized exchange we're talking about coinbase kraken yes gemini those are centralized exchanges <laughs> Get your ETH, get your wrapped Bitcoin off those places, take self-custody yourself, take ownership of your keys, and become a self-sovereign individual with your money. And yeah, this the self-sovereignty of Bankless and the whole Bankless mission is exactly what we're doing, building at Academy, and that's exactly the kinds of people that we want to be talking with. So please, come say hello. We'd love to have you. 
I speak nerd. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I've gotten insight into some things that I haven't circled back on for a while and really getting to know you a little bit better. Yeah, it'll be great to dig into some more of these things as we go forward. So yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Love to have you back. So many things to talk about. So many things. Jump in, jump in. Uh, the water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll only bite if you ask us to, promise. That's right. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jost. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a fantastic conversation. Love the, the opportunity to you know talk about this stuff and vibe on these ideas for ideation and the creative process and how we can apply that in Web3. I love it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been Making Bank, a production of Bankless DAO. If you'd like to learn more about Bankless DAO, please visit bankless.community on the web for more information on how to get started. And of course, if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform.